everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flops Podcast. I'm Angelique Gay. I'm a mom and a writer who recently went through a major life transition. Each week, I invite other creatives and change makers onto the podcast to talk about their own transitions, a time in their life when they felt completely untethered and lost, which as it turns out is completely normal and can even be life affirming. Today, I'm so excited to be chatting with Tony Purry, who is the author of My Hype Book. Tony is one of the warmest women I've ever had the opportunity to chat with. A bit about her, Tony broke the 72-year-old glass ceiling in the pageant world when she was the first African-American woman to win the title of Miss Alabama USA. She won the Chase O Magazine contest when out of 9,000 applicants comprised of PR executives, Tony was selected to receive the financial makeover prize. Tony recently pivoted her career from LA PR maven to author and positioning and visibility strategist. I have amazing news for you. She has generously offered $5 off the book to us. All you have to do is use the code flipflopshype when you buy the book at myhypebook.com. Let's hear her story. Tell us your story. It's an amazing story. Sure, absolutely. Well, my background is in public relations. I've done that my entire professional career. I've worked everywhere from, you know, the in the public sector, the private sector. I worked for nonprofits. I worked for corporations. I did it all. And then later in my career, I decided I wanted to do something a little different. And I opened my own public relations agency. And it was an exciting time for me. I had been working as a vice president of a PR agency and just thought I was ready to step off and do something on my own. And I did that in 2007, which was really interesting because that was when we had the big financial crisis. Housing, you know, crashed. And a lot of people said to me, do you really want to go off on your own? Do you really want to do this? You've got a great position. And naively, I didn't really know what a recession meant. And I thought, yeah, it's fine. We'll be, we'll be good. And quite honestly, I think it was a combination of my naivete and my fortitude and determination, but we did. We really soared as an agency. Uh, we, we specialized in the hospitality and tourism industry. So most of our clients were a luxury hotel. We did the luxury line for all of the big box hotels, Hyatt, Marriott, uh, Intercontinental, Hilton, And we also represented destinations and airlines and high-end shopping centers. And it was really great fun work for 10 years. I did it for 10 years. But around year eight is when I kind of started feeling like I wasn't quite as fulfilled with the work that I was doing or with our agency. And mind you, we were an award-winning agency. We had a wall full of awards. We had a roster of clients that anybody would want. I had a rock star team of employees but I was just feeling this anxious sort of shift that was happening. And I wasn't as excited about the work that I was doing. I didn't feel challenged anymore. And I started trying to shift the business to find new love and new excitement for what I was doing, but I just couldn't do it. And I didn't want to tell anybody about that space. I felt a lot of shame. You know, here I was, had built this great company. It was doing well, but I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I and you started, you started the company at 40? I started the company at 40. Okay, so this started happening around 48? Yes. You started feeling this 
this huge ship. Yep, that's is exactly right. So 48 is when I started feeling this just overwhelm. I'm like, just the simple things got on my nerves. <laughs> I liken it to when you're dating a guy and he's really a nice guy or, you know, dating somebody and they're really nice. But when they blink, you kind of want to sock them. and they've done nothing wrong but you just are like I'm over this that's how I felt about the company and I think what happens too when you fall out of love with your business one you need to listen to that because any business it reciprocates the love that you put into it and when you aren't doing Mm. that that causes a strain and that caused a strain which made it even more uncomfortable for me so around year nine and a half I decided to close the office we were in a beautiful creative office space, transition employees to contract employees. And I didn't pursue any of our longtime clients for a renewing. And so I'm now working at home and I am feeling like the biggest loser because here I had this great thriving business and now I'm working at home. I kind of was one of those people that really loved getting dressed up and going into the office, but now I'm at home and I'm just like, what have I done? And it was hard because it's one thing to say, I'm not doing this anymore because I'm going to do this thing that's amazing and exciting. To have a plan. Exactly. I was, I don't want to do this anymore and I have no clue what I want to do next. And that really was challenging for me because I've always been a a person of great vision and dreams and aspirations. And I know where I want to go and and I'll figure out how to get there. But I had no clue. It was like my dreamer in me was broken. And so I'm feeling the blues and no, absolutely no confidence. And my husband was watching a documentary about Muhammad Ali. I happened to walk through the room and I was absolutely fixated at his confidence. I wanted to understand how did this man maintain his confidence in the face of defeat? How did he maintain it when the country despised him because he didn't support the Vietnam War? How did he maintain it even when he had been diagnosed and stricken with Parkinson's disease? Every image that you think of of Muhammad Ali is a man of tremendous confidence. And a couple of clips later, I saw right before he was going into a fight, his hype man, his corner man, Boudini Brown, was in his face ardently yelling, reminding him of his knockouts, his wins, that he was the greatest. He was a champ. And I thought, man, if we all had a hype man, reminding us of our wins and our victories and who we are. We have that kind of confidence as well. So in that moment, I thought I need to make myself a hype book. And I sat in my floor for two days writing and journaling in great detail about my wins and my accounts that we had won and pro bono work that we had done and simple things like running the LA Marathon, things that were just personally rewarding and what felt like success to me. Those things that made me feel good, qualities and attributes that I personally have. And I tell you what, within two days, there was this ascension of confidence that rose up in me because the lens through which I was looking at myself made a shift. I was now looking at myself through my success lens. And what felt like doom and gloom suddenly became this place of inspiration and excitement. And I looked at all that I had done and thought, wow, this is a great springboard for whatever it is that I do next. And I will say something else really interesting came out of that process was this sense of surrender that I didn't have to have exactly what the next plan was, but that I would be willing to take a step every day. And a girlfriend sent me a text message 
college during that time. And she asked me what I was doing. And I said, I'm making hype book. She said, what's a hype book? I said, it's the best thing ever. It's when you take time to take inventory of your wins and your attributes and your successes. And she's like, Tony, this is amazing. Everybody needs one. I said, I know. That's why you have to do it. And she's like, no, Tony, everybody needs one. And you need to write that book. And that became the journey from the next nine months that I spent writing what is now called my hype book. And it's a guided motivational journal that walks you through the process of just taking inventory of who you are, the things that you've done, your accomplishments, the things that you've overcome. And it's a lot of detail in how the book is broken down so that you can be really intentional and specific. For instance, there are six categories that you would journal about, major milestones, significant victories, health and wellness achievements, good and charitable deeds, life adventures, and then also lessons learned because life doesn't always work the way we want it to. But there are things that we can extrapolate from those experiences that we are all the better for and therefore can take possession of that as something that we're better for. And it just became this life-changing process for me. It's been just an extraordinary process. Also sharing the book with so many other people and seeing it's become a game changer for a lot of people. And I'm very proud of that. As time right. goes by, do you keep right. filling it in? Is it a new mindset? It is. It is a new mindset. And this is why I call it a practice, because I think we are all in the habit or a lot of people are in the habit of if we achieve something, we're kind of on to the next thing and then on to the next. But if we have a failure, a setback, we're misunderstood. You know, you know, I just, I have to say one thing. I find it so interesting that you stepping away from your PR company is something that you considered at the time a failure. I when know. it was you yourself that was making that choice. I know. I find it doesn't it so make any sense. It doesn't make sense. And, and I'm not saying I don't understand. Of course I understand. I would feel right. the same way. I would feel all yeah. of these feelings of how could I do that? How could I step back? How could I stop right. doing this thing that was working. So I understand it. But then on the outside also, because I'm not close to it, that's not at all a failure. Right. That was a exactly. choice that you made. So I why know. is it that we look at our choices as wins or losses? Why do we do that? I don't know. And it's baffling to me. And it is part of the mindset shift that I really tout and preach and want to stand on a soapbox and tell everybody about. Because I think especially when you've had a career doing one thing or you've succeeded in one area, it feels counterproductive to walk away from that because it, that's where we're all endeavoring to get to that place where we feel, air quotes, successful. But success is relative. It's whatever it feels like to you at that moment, at that time. There were days winning big, huge accounts was success for me. There were days when I was in that really dark place, getting out of my bed was success. You know, you kind of have to give yourself the freedom to find success in different ways and also not let it be determined by what society says. A really interesting aha that I had when I was sitting in my floor those two days, you know, really journaling about my journey 
I thought back to when I first started the company, I read an article in something like Inc or Fast Company magazine, and it talked about, you know, somebody who was successful because they had made a million dollars in their first year. And so I decided we're going to make a million our first year. Now, this was the beginning of a recession, but it didn't matter. I just, this was the goal. This was the bar. Remember, I told you I was a big dreamer and I'm going to get there. And about 18 months in, I'm at my desk and I am literally having a meltdown because we haven't made a million. And my controller calls and she's like, what's going on? And I'm just bawling, crying. Everybody was right. I shouldn't have started this company. We're 18 months in. We haven't made a million. And she's like, are are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, I'm very serious. She's like, you have a thriving PR agency in the middle of a recession where companies are laying people off in droves. And the first thing they're cutting in their budgets is PR and marketing and advertising. And you have companies, hotels calling you to represent you during this time. You have an amazing team of employees, cry me a river. And I was like, I can't believe you don't understand. And she said, slow your roll, Oprah. You will get there, (laughs) but you're fine. And so I'm like, she's a friend. So I'm mad at her. I hang up and she calls me a couple of hours later and she's like, are you done having your temper tantrum? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I can't believe you don't understand. She's like, Tony, I will never understand. And I will never side with you on this. You are doing amazingly in a really difficult time. And honestly, for years, that was kind of a bone of contention with us because I felt like you didn't have enough empathy for me. And she's like, and I still don't. (laughs) And it wasn't until I was sitting in my living room floor that I realized we were thriving. And I not only robbed myself of celebrating that we were succeeding despite what was going on around us, I also robbed my employees of that feeling. You know, I maybe never said it to them, but you still feel the energy. You know, I was kind of constantly in this driving mode, striving to be better, striving to get to that next, striving to do more. And I realized I missed a huge opportunity to be really proud of who we were and what we were doing. I really do think it is a mind shift and it is getting into the practice of how you are looking at yourself, how you're seeing yourself. We will pick apart a failure, a setback, anything that doesn't go the way we want it to, we will pick that, we'll ruminate over it weeks, months, sometimes years. But when we achieve things, we sort of achieve them and then we're on to the next and then we're on to the next. So if you stop and you think about the amount of mental real estate that we give to those disappointments versus those times when we really are succeeding, or if we shift the way we decide what success and achievement looks like, we give ourselves a much better mindset and focus and framing of how we view ourselves and how we see ourselves. As you think of things that you've accomplished, as you recall those things where you did maybe the tough thing or something that you overcame, that you go back and you fill in that section and you just keep adding to it. And then you make it a practice to open that book and look back and see yourself and remember that you did that. We just aren't taking the time to really look at who we are because I promise, I really believe we are more of a culmination of the things that we do right and well and good than we are our mistakes and our setbacks and our failures. But we tend to look at ourselves through that lens, unfortunately. And it's kind of the world we live in. You know, all of advertising kind of tells us we have to have this to be cool or on trend or to be that person. 
And so you do have to get into a, a practice of how am I looking at myself? How am I seeing myself? Because how I see myself definitely impacts how I show up in every room that I enter. I find it so interesting that you picked this goal because you saw it in a magazine. To say success equals making $1 million in your first year right. from the outside seems so arbitrary. And yet right. for you... It, it was a hundred percent your goal. Exactly. And I will tell you also, I've always been one of these very driven, ambitious people that very optimistic. I believe in the possibilities. And so to have believed in a possibility now, what I did not do is put a plan in place for that. And that's something that I, I think I'm a, usually a little more strategic about how I'll actually get to the goal that I'm aiming for. So I had created a, a, an incredibly unfair sort of circumstances for myself in that one, it was this sort of arbitrary number, you know, in this random thing that I read in a magazine that really, I didn't even look to see what the correlation between was that business and my business. It just became this number mm -hmm. that you know, in but it's funny how we assign carrots for ourselves exactly. that we then have to chase. And right. the logic goes right out the window. I mean, we've it all does. been there. We've, we've all had those things that if you can't get to the carrot, you tell yourself you're a failure instead of right. looking at, oh, well, maybe I picked the wrong carrot. Right. Exactly. Right. Or maybe I'm just on this journey of learning something new, learning something new about myself, getting exposure in a new way, you know, that there are things that you, in everything, whether we land, whether we've crossed the finish line the way we want to or not, there's something that we gain along the way. And seeing it that way definitely helps. And it takes off a lot of pressure. I now am more willing to surrender to where the, the road takes me. I mean, yes, I have goals and I have aspirations, but I have taken the pressure off. I also think too, a part of that, that thing that I dealt with that you mentioned earlier about why logically it didn't make sense, but why did it feel like a failure to me? I think is because when you succeed at one thing, you then feel like, how will I ever succeed at something else at that level again? How will I make it work like that way again? And why would I walk away from this if I don't have the assurance? You know, if I found something that works, I know how to do it well, I can pretty much dial it in and make it work. I didn't at that point, didn't really even have to go after clients because we had clients that would always refer us in, in new business coming in. It was just a really interesting scenario that I would then put that in the category of a failure. And, and I, I think partly of, of not telling anybody how I was feeling that I wanted to, you know, pivot out of it. One thing that I say is don't suffer in silence, talk about it, you know, because you'll find that other people can actually give you the permission that you maybe need to give yourself to do something different. That was a big mistake, you know, that I had. And I'm so much better about that now. I think it's so important that you bring that up that for two years, you know, you were sitting in these feelings of shame and whatnot, and you kept it to yourself. But just to go back to your point, I think also, there's kind of an element of control, like, if when you're feeling deeply vulnerable, why do we take that opportunity to kind of almost insult ourselves? Exactly. Why, why don't we have more empathy for ourselves? And do you have more empathy for yourself now? Oh, yes. 100%. I have definitely learned to, my husband used to say, you need to let yourself off the hook sometime. 
And I didn't understand what he meant by that because if he did something and he said, you know, I'm sorry, he would move on. And I would think he's not sorry enough. He's not dwelling (laughs) on it enough. (laughs) He doesn't really mean it (laughs) because it's not, you know, killing him to have done that, made that mistake. He would literally apologize and totally move on and full sincerity, but move on me or he'd mess up or, you know, you know, make a mistake. On the other hand, I'm like beating myself up. I mean, my girlfriend would say it's like a mental terrorist. And I have definitely since in this practice of what am I saying to myself? What am I talking to myself? How am I viewing that? Much more conscious of that now. And that has been something that's been key for me because I really do have to give myself grace. And the strange thing about it is most people that have had the same kind of challenge that I have in not giving themselves grace usually give grace to other people very generously. However, for myself, I have to work at that. I have to literally kind of have a conversation. All right. Are you going to harp on this and beat yourself on? Or are you going to give yourself grace? Mm. And so I, um, I like that word grace. Give yourself yeah. grace. So I want to go back to the chapters in the book. Can you give me an example? Repeat the chapters slowly and then give an example, if you're willing to share, of a win or an accomplishment in each chapter and then what you learned as you were writing out each chapter and why you picked those chapters. And then it it leads me to the question of, do you think in that element of self-discovery, if you are in a career transition, that it can then lead you to an aha moment of, wow, this is something I really love that I never realized. Yes. And can it then be like a career guide as well? So that's, that's a lot of questions that I just asked you, but I, I know. Nope. (laughs) I'm following you. Um, (laughs) You got me. (laughs) And, and if I miss something, just let me know, but I will say, okay, so the first half of the book have practices and these are practices that just really give you an opportunity to look inward. Like one of the first ones is word power. Mm. And it says words, they're used to express, identify, declare, label, position, frame, persuade, convince, and influence all because they have power. There's this big bubble with all of these, I mean, there's this page with all of these words, words like disciplined, discerning, inspiring, secure, smart, social, wealthy, adaptable, empathetic, endearing. It's got all of these words, page full of words. And then the next page has got all of these bubbles. And there's a big bubble in the center that is you. And so you fill in what the words that you believe you are, you know you are, and even that other people have told you and you agree with that. And I like to do that as a practice because how often do we say things like, oh, I'm such an idiot. You know, we say those things out loud, I'm such a loser. (laughs) You know, we say these really cruel things to ourselves, declaring these things over ourselves. But how often do we say, I'm loyal, or I am tenacious, or I'm committed, or I'm motivated, or how often do we speak those things over conscientious over ourselves that are very positive where we own those things? So there is that. That's one practice. Then there's another one that is 10 things that you've overcome. I like this because a lot of times when we have faced something, when we have maybe lost a job or we went through a divorce or we faced an illness, we had a medical crisis, or maybe there was a really tragic situation that you dealt with or abuse or whatever it is that you've overcome. A lot of times we see ourselves as a victim to what happened to us. 
as opposed to an individual that actually overcame that which happened to us. Mm. But, but yet we'll look at people like Richard Branson and say he overcame dyslexia, or we'll look at Stephen King and say he overcame rejection, or we'll look at Steve Jobs and say he overcame being ousted from his company. Arianna Huffington overcame failure. Martin Luther King overcame racism. We look at these iconic people and we're like, wow, look at what they overcame. We are overcomers just like they're overcomers. We overcame those obstacles. There's so many things that we have faced the challenge and overcome them that oftentimes we don't stop and take a look at that. And I think that's one of those things that when we say, oh, I can see myself differently you know, because of that. So there are several practices that are kind of along those lines that the book takes you through where you are really just kind of sizing up yourself, but from Mm -hmm. a very different perspective. So for you, when you were doing that, what did you realize about yourself? So when I did it, I realized that I had one, the dialogue and the way that I perceived myself was that I was not good enough, to be quite honest, that I was not doing enough, that I needed to do more. And that even in looking at my company, that I had to shift how I saw it, that I actually had succeeded and had accomplished a lot. My assistant helped me with this particular thing before I started writing the book one day. She said, I want you to just sit here and I want you to go back to the very first Facebook page from the company that we posted. We used to always post about different things that we were doing for clients and different activities and stuff around the office and everything. It was kind of fun. You know, we had fun with our Facebook page. (laughs) And so she's like, I just want you, she comes in my office, she puts on some, you know, soft music. And she's like, I just want you to scroll through it. I don't want you to read the post. I just want you to scroll through it. And so I did it. And it was really, really moving. Because she's like, I need you to see how much you have inspired the team that you've led, the people that have come through, the clients you've supported, the ways we've supported them. 90% of these ideas are your ideas. We've got this excellent team to carry all of those things through. And it was just a really nice way to capture and shift my focus of the way that I was looking at myself. And that was something that doing these practices in the beginning of the book helped me to do. I had a lot of really negative inner dialogue going on and I didn't even realize it. It felt like I was just ambitious, but every time I'd meet a goal, I'd set the bar higher. (laughs) So it was like there was this moving target. Yeah. Um, it's like it, I, it would just never stop. No wonder you were the, tired. Exactly. I was exhausting myself because I was on this. There was no never end to the ending, race. No end to the race. It was really the worst kind of self-sabotage that I have come to find. A lot of people do that, especially you know, women. We achieve one thing and we feel like, oh, we should achieve. And he was so ironic about this is my thing wasn't about comparing to other people. I have never really struggled with the comparison thing. It was my my own, you know, you can at least stop comparing, stop looking if, if comparison is your thing. But mine was this bar that I would just keep moving, moving up a little bit higher, moving up a little bit higher for myself, 
one year, this was another thing that I look back on and I was like, oh my goodness, one year we represented a resort in Huntington Beach, a beautiful Hyatt resort. And they decided to get rid of their tennis courts and put a family pool with a slide and cabanas and all of that. It was very exciting for this one resort to do this. And we got a lot of press about that. I mean, we had LA Times talking about it. We had and just so many people talking about this. It was really amazing the amount of exposure that we were able to get for this, this resort in Huntington Beach. Well, we entered that into a PR awards program and we made the finals. And then it came down to two agencies and we did not win. We were second. Now hundreds entered, but it came down to, you know, we made the finals, which is great. We lost to, do you remember the year that Oprah Winfrey and John Travolta flew an audience to Australia because Australia was doing kind of a big tourism thing. And John Travolta flew the airplane and they flew on Qantas Airlines and they took them all, took her whole audience to Australia for a visit. Well, the PR agency that did that they won. actually won. Okay. And I was so upset that we did not win. You can look <laughs> at the pictures. <laughs> oh my God. You can look at the pictures of me with my employees standing there with my face all mad. And they're like, but Tony, we lost against Oprah. <laughs> and I'm like, we came here to win. <laughs> oh my God. I love this story. I mean, how ridiculous. I like, that's where I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness. I just, I wasn't going to give myself a break here. We made it to the finals with Oprah, Qantas Airlines, Australia, and John Travolta, you know, for their campaign. And we had this little resort. I mean, this resort in this little beach town in Southern California. And it came down with hundreds of entries. It came down between us and them. Instead of celebrating that we made it to that place with our campaign, up against this huge, and they had so much, obviously so much money for their campaign. We were probably working well, with- Well, I'm just going to say congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Because I think in my mind of like human mortals that you got first place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly. Honestly, but I will tell you, it wasn't until after looking back and working in my book and thinking, you know, what's so funny is the section that I have that written in is things that I had to overcome. Now, how even wild, exactly crazy, 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 just mindset that was, you know, it was really kind of impossible. I was setting up the impossible, you know, for myself. So, okay, so that's kind of the first half of the book is these different practices that just give you a chance to look inward. And then the second half is the journaling part. And I, and so I have it broken down into six categories. It's major milestones, significant victories, health and wellness achievements, good and charitable deeds, life adventures, and lessons learned. And I broke it down into those categories. I love Basically, these categories, by the way. Well, and here's the thing. They're very I subjective. love that you have charitable deeds as a whole chapter. I love that. So can you give an example in your own life of each chapter? 
Go ahead. You were saying I broke it down this way because, so go ahead. I broke it down this way and it is up to you to decide what falls in that category. For me, like the charitable, one of the things that I entered in that section. So the big question at the top of it where you're, this is the journaling section. What was your good and charitable deed? And so then you name what it is. And for mine was the pro bono work that my agency did. Every year we would take on one nonprofit and we'd represent them as if they were a paying client for the entire year. Wow. And that was our, our way of giving back. And, and we just had a lot of fun doing that. And everybody had a touch point with everybody in the office. You know, somehow we were all working on it like a real client, like if they were a paying client. And so the next question is who benefited from your act of kindness or service? And so I could write in details of, you know, not only one, one in particular that I wrote about was this nonprofit that was a very small nonprofit and they would support support women who had been diagnosed with cancer but needed just like kind of those everyday things like somebody to pick them up and take them to their chemo treatment or somebody to go and get groceries for them or if they needed money for things that they didn't have. It was a very practical support for women facing cancer. And then the next question is, what was your act of kindness or service and how did it make you feel? So you go in and you fill that out, you know, about this is exactly what we did for them. And it was very rewarding for me because I knew I was not only helping this particular foundation, but all the women that also got a chance to realize the impact of their support with them. Wow. And then the next one was, what inspired you to offer your support in this way? What I wrote in mind was every year we, we look for a nonprofit that we feel like we can have a real impact for. We always used to look for smaller nonprofits that you know maybe just would not even think to have the budget to put aside for marketing and PR, even though they really needed it. And that was kind of their missing piece. And then the next section says, what personal strengths do you realize about yourself as a result of your kind, kindness, support, or contribution? And there's a bunch of boxes that you can check. I feel better about myself. I feel proud of myself. I feel great compassion. I feel greater compassion. I have greater understanding. I'm stronger. I'm more confident. I feel more charitable. I'm more courageous. I feel more responsible. I have more faith. I feel selfless. I have greater empathy. Or you can fill in your own. And then the last thing on this section is how do you plan to celebrate yourself for this accomplishment? Because a key part of what this book is, there's a section in this book that is about you being worthy of celebrating yourself. You are cause for celebration because when we achieve something, we will kind of achieve it and then go on to the next thing. But if we mess up, we'll ruminate over that thing. Or if your friend gets, you know, a promotion, you're like, I want to take you out. We have to have a, you know, a toast to celebrate your accomplishment or celebrate what you've done. And the difference to a lot of people say, well, yeah, I work really hard and I reward myself with a trip to the spa. And I'm like, nope, this isn't a reward. This is a celebration because what celebrations do is they commemorate a moment. When your child turns 10, you don't, you know, give them a reward for, you know, turning 10. You say, let's celebrate this because this is a moment. Let's make a moment. So the celebration section has all of these different ways that you can celebrate. When I was writing the book, I I have a thread of of several girlfriends that we kind of on this thread together, text thread. And I sent them a text message and I said, hey, I'm writing my book and I need to hear from you guys. How do you celebrate yourself when you do something good? And it was crickets. And there's like about 10 of us on the thread. And so I said, hey, him, you guys didn't hear me. <laughs> um, I asked a question and then somebody responded. They're like, huh, Tony, you know what? I really don't. I don't ever celebrate myself. I don't 
really think about that. So I thought, let me go over to Facebook and ask the question. Very few people could say that they actually celebrate themselves or their accomplishments. I said, okay, then how would you? So I got a bunch of ideas. What does celebration look like for you? And what is it that makes you feel good? So that you are now in the practice of when you do a thing that makes you feel proud, even if it's something as simple as having a really tough conversation with somebody, which would then, in my opinion, would go in the significant victory section. But just, you know, being very, very intentional about how you break these down. Right. Life adventures. What was a life adventure? I decided one year to take the train from New Orleans after visiting my grandmother in Mississippi back to LA. That was an adventure for me. It was nice to just take two and a half days to completely unplug and journal and, you know, watch the countryside. And Mm -hmm. that was an adventure that I got to write about. And it was really nice writing about that because I could really go into what that did for me. How did it feed me? How do I feel differently as a result of it? And here's the thing is why I say it's a practice because doing this puts you in the practice of just being more intentional about how you see yourself and the things that you do and categorizing them differently so that they feed you and work for you and not defeat you. So then do you think the book, I mean, it obviously changes how we talk to ourselves, how we see our choices and our accomplishments. Mm -hmm. But does it also help you get in touch with your values so that if you're trying to make some kind of life decision, like a new job or a new career, does it help you? Yes. Kind of scratch the surface and change your mindset so that maybe you see something that you hadn't realized before. Did you have an experience like that? I thought this book was a big departure from what I was doing with my agency and working as a PR professional. I realize that some of my milestones have been how I've supported the women that I've worked with in helping with their visibility strategy and their positioning strategy and that sort of thing. And I'm like, oh, wait, this is actually not such a big departure from what I did before. It's an extension of what I did before where I used to help big corporations to develop a sense of confidence in their consumer market and generate hype and excitement around them. I am now working with individuals to help them do that same thing, but for a very personal and individualized state. And it has been the process of going through this book that I realized, oh, my pattern is the same. It's just, I'm now doing it for a different group now. And it was going through this practice that helped me to embrace all of those qualities and attributes that I had that made my work so work for me so well before that now I get to do it in a way that's so much more rewarding because I'm doing it on an individual basis. How do we get a copy of it? So you can get a copy (laughs) at my, (laughs) at myhypebook.com. It would be really good for me to do. So I'm just, I promise me you'll write in it. I have, it's a beautiful book and the only complaint that I get. In pencil, in pencil. I know it, right in in the the book. book. So many people are like, it's too pretty to write in the book. It's supposed to write in it. These pages are for you to write in it. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I can't wait to buy my hype book and fill it out and take two days or a week or however long it takes. And I really appreciate you chatting with me. It's been such a pleasure and I'll definitely stay in touch. And same um, here. This has been so wonderful. I really, I love what you're doing. I love... I mean, I, I think it's so good. I also, I was also a big fan of your cozy, cozy sweater. Cozy sweater cafe. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, yes. So I just, I think what you're doing is fantastic. It is needed. It is, you know, something to be celebrated. And I appreciate Oh, yes, that's my, my last question. What are the ways that we can celebrate? What did you oh, come up with? Okay, let me, let me go to that page, actually. Okay, so here are these. Because some of the I things. know female entrepreneurs who literally, I have had this conversation with where they say, why is it that I have this huge win and then I just move on and I don't celebrate it? So how should we be celebrating our wins, whether they're, we're entrepreneurs or not? But I think particularly for entrepreneurs, there is a desire to keep going because it, it goes with the personality type, right? It does. It really does. <laughs> it really does. And so how should we be celebrating? Okay, so I'm going to run through the list that I got. So this was a list of things that I got from a lot of other people and a few things that we added as well. A spa or pamper day, an indulging dinner or dessert, a trip to your favorite attraction, take an afternoon off. A solo mm. trip or a big vacation, a ticket to see your favorite artists, pop a bottle of champagne, a day trip on a train. That's my kind of, that was one of mine. <laughs> a new book, dinner with friends, a day at the beach or the park, a day of relaxation, gourmet coffee, a picnic in your backyard, breakfast in bed, a weekend away, a matinee, a midweek matinee movie. I love that one. A I love that. A new pair of shoes, your favorite cocktail, binge watching your favorite show, purchase, per, my husband added this one, purchase a nice cigar, <laughs> a personal <laughs> a personal dance party, uh, host a party, a new piece of jewelry, a round of golf, sleeping in, a trip to the barber for a towel shave. That came from a nice guy, an ice cream <laughs> or chocolate or a long hot bath. Those are some, but then you have, you know, space where you can fill in what it means to you. Yeah. Um, Those so, are all great examples. Uh, so <laughs> I any love way all that of them. feels like a celebration, just if you just do something that you say, if it's a happy dance in your kitchen and you know, this happy dance is to commemorate that I did this. <laughs> I feel mm. really good about it. It's just, it's, then it becomes a little bit more prevalent in our minds and we just feel better. You know, we better feel better about ourselves because we're seeing ourselves through that success lens versus that harsh critical lens that we just sometimes give too much attention to. Yes. I'm going to end right there. That's beautifully said. Bye-bye critic. (laughs) I know exactly. Hello, Grace. (laughs) That's it. I love this woman. I'm so inspired. I see so many uses for the book as a tool to help you write your elevator pitch, your CV, get ready for interviews. I think it can have a big impact on your confidence and how you show up in a room with other people. So I think that is absolutely phenomenal. My biggest takeaway is to get in the practice of speaking kindly to yourself and give yourself grace. I love that. It's simple, but I think it's so powerful. I hope you enjoyed her story. And if you enjoyed our chat and you want to buy the book, don't forget you get $5 off by using the code flipflopshype at myhypebook.com. But again, if you love the podcast, then please hit subscribe. Please share it with your friends. Please share it on social media or just send me a little note. I love when you do that. Thank you.